Have you ever bought something and then realized it wasn't really the real thing? You've seen these cheap knockoffs? I, I went to school downtown Chicago and you'd see like folding tables set up on the side of the road and kind of shady characters behind them and a whole bunch of videos on them. And it's like, yeah, you know, those aren't real. Those, those are not, you know, the real thing. They're, they're a cheap, a cheap knockoff of the real thing. We've got some kids here with us. So kids, I've got an assignment for you. Nobody over the age of 10 is allowed to answer this question. All right. Be nice adults. Uh, kids, what's wrong with this picture? You see anything wrong? Okay, it's soda. Maybe in your family, soda's wrong, but that's, that's not really the problem. <laughs> Good job, parents. Joe. There's no money. It's true. Look carefully. Oh, okay. What kind of soda is it? Tell me what you see. What kind of soda? Do you recognize it? Okay, so it looks like Coca-Cola, right? It's not. It's, it's Club Cola. You see that? I know it's kind of hidden. You can see it over here better. Club Cola. Is this Mountain Dew? No, it's, it's Monsoon Dew. Is this, is this Sprite? No, it's Right. I don't know where this was taken. These are knockoffs. They're not the real thing. They're alternatives. They're, they're cheap, worthless. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they taste great for what they are. Maybe they're better than the real thing. I don't know. This one will give you nightmares. How about uh, this one here? <clears throat> Aladdin coloring book. Now, they actually use the real name. Pretty sure this is not the Disney animators that did Aladdin. I'm just going out on a limb here. That's terrifying. Yes. <laughs> really scary. Uh, but yeah, that's a cheap knockoff, right? This is not a coloring book made by Disney of the real thing. It's, it's a knockoff. And I imagine it's filled with scary pictures like that that your children can color. Uh, here's another one. I, this is actually my favorite. <clears throat> Crust toothpaste. I can just see the commercial. Leaves your teeth with that fresh, crusty feel. I mean, it's just... I'm guessing whoever renamed it, you know, they wanted to get close to crust, but I wonder how much English they really knew because crust? Like, who wants crust on their teeth? You brush your teeth to get the crust off. There are a lot of worthless alternatives in this world that often look just like the real thing. And, and maybe, again, when it comes to products and knockoffs, maybe some of them are just as good, maybe. But a lot of them aren't. Today we're looking at Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 16 through 23. So go ahead and open up there in your Bibles, um, because I want you to be able to follow along and see that, that this is the Lord's Word. Um, I'm not making this stuff up. And, and here in this passage, Paul warns against two worthless, cheap alternatives that we might be tempted to fall for. Two worthless, cheap alternatives. They're not products. They're not something you can buy or sell. They are ideas. Cheap, worthless, alternative ideas instead of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. 
They are worthless alternatives to true religion, true relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at these two worthless alternatives, and then we're going to look at Paul's answer to these and where he tells us to focus. So let's start with these two worthless ideas. They're in verses 16 and 19. And before we get into the specifics of the passage, we need to set the stage. Paul is telling the the Christians here to watch out for something. Beware of something. Twice in verses 16 and 19, he tells them not to let anybody do something, something specific to them. In verse 16, you see the phrase, do not let anyone. Verse 18, do not let anyone. Those are strong phrases. Hey, watch out. Don't let them do this. Don't fall for this. Beware of this. We need to go back and look at Colossians 2, 8 to understand where this is coming from. Preached on this a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to go into detail, but here he sets up this section. Don't be taken in. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. And we talked about that. Don't fall for lies. Don't fall for things. And we talked about this human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of the world. We can go into each one of those words. But if we take it all together, it basically means the world and the way it works. Just the way things are, kind of the normal, this is how things go. Don't get sucked in into thinking you have to live or think or act a certain way because that's just the way the world is. Yes, it might be normal to the world, but it cannot be normal for us as Christians. So this is where he introduces this warning to watch out for something, beware of something. Now he's getting specific. This is the passage in Colossians where we get the best glimpse at the false teaching. We've talked about this a lot. There was false teaching, teachers coming into Colossae and teaching something other than the gospel. And in this passage, we get a taste of what that was. He gets specific about some of the things he's warning them against. So, what are they supposed to watch out for? And then we'll try to bring it to our context and say, what is it we too need to watch out for in a similar way? And the first thing, this first worthless idea is empty actions. Watch out for empty actions, specifically empty religious actions. Look at verses 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, Paul, what are you talking about here? This is one of these passages. They knew what he was talking about from a distance. 2,000 years later, we're reading it going, I'm not really sure. What is he talking about? So, Let me help you to understand this. He is referring to three things. Religious festivals, Sabbath days, and new moon celebrations. All three of those come straight out of the Old Testament. All three of them were things that God commanded the Jewish people to do in the Old Testament law. This is really interesting. Paul is telling them, don't be sucked in by something God commanded his people to do. What? Paul, you're crazy here. What's going on? Don't do what God told you to do. Now, we need to bring in some more context. Colossians is primarily a Gentile church. 
in Scripture, Gentiles are anybody that's not Jewish. It's not a specific land, country, it's anybody else. You have the Jews, then everybody else is a Gentile. That's probably all of us here, or at least most of us. We are Gentiles. In the Old Testament, God made a relationship through Abraham with the Jewish people to live a certain way, to act a certain way, to do certain festivals, to celebrate his relationship with them, to live out his law with them, to do certain animal sacrifices as a testimony to God's salvation of them. And these three things were commanded by him for them to do. Uh, In fact, I think I have... Yeah, 2 Chronicles 31.3 uh, just shows this is one of many where these three are together in the Old, time, uh, Old Testament. For the king contributed from his own possession for the morning and event, uh, evening burnt offerings and for the burnt offerings of the Sabbaths at the new moons and at the appointed festivals as written in the law of the Lord. So, so again, I'm not making this up and Paul's not making this up and the false teachers weren't even making these up. They're bringing three things from the Old Testament. So what's... The problem, why is Paul saying, don't do this? What he's specifically telling them is don't fall for people that say you have to do certain empty religious actions if those things are not pointing to Jesus Christ. Don't do them for their own sake. Only do them if they can point to Jesus Christ. Now, what's going on here? Okay, largely not a Jewish church, not Jewish Christians, Gentiles. Other people had come in or people from within the church were coming in and saying, you believe in Jesus. That's great. Good for you. Now, here's some other things you need to be doing to be really religious. And they were pulling some of these things out of the Old Testament that only applied to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And they're saying you need to do them now. Now, what were these three things? Religious festivals, kind of a general term. Uh, you might be familiar with the Passover. There's something called the Feast of Booths or the Tabernacles. That was another festival from the Old Testament. There was a festival of first fruits and many others. Throughout the year, these celebrated, commemorated, kind of reminded God's people of who God is and what he's done for them. And God commanded them, the Jewish people, to uphold these festivals and participate in them. Sabbaths, we're probably a little more familiar with the concept of Sabbath. The idea of Sabbath was, uh, in particular, one day per week was to be set aside, and they were not allowed to do work on that, so that they could worship and trust in the Lord. Sabbaths in the Old Testament actually were much more than just one day a week. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, There were several other special Sabbaths that occurred throughout the year. Any of these festival days either started or ended or both on a Sabbath. So they were to set aside another day. In the Old Testament, the one day a week that the Sabbath fell on was what day? Saturday. I'm going to get on a little soapbox here for a second. (laughs) Sorry. Christians, we have a tradition of calling Sunday the Sabbath. Don't. (laughs) Just stop. (laughs) It's not the Sabbath. The, The reason Christians switched from Saturday, which is the law of the Sabbath. You you can't really, according to Jewish law, call Sunday the Sabbath. It's not the Sabbath. The reason we switched is that Sunday was the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you want to call Sunday something else, call it Resurrection Day. We gather on Resurrection Day. 
And Paul is actually telling the Christians here, do not let someone judge you for not keeping the Sabbath. As modern, non-Jewish Christians, the Sabbath law does not apply to us. That's what Paul's saying. The Sabbath law pointed to Jesus. We're supposed to have our focus on Jesus Christ. Now, is it good to take time off and not work a certain day? Absolutely. Is it good to rest and set aside time for the Lord? Absolutely. But this is not a law that we should beat other people up with. (gasps) You don't take the Sabbath off. Go take it to this passage and look at what Paul's saying here. He's saying, don't let anyone judge you for this. All right, Sabbath. New moon celebration. This is the one I wasn't as familiar with either. The Jewish calendar was based on the phases of the moon. Uh, and so every new moon, which I believe is actually the one where there isn't a moon, right? That's, that's, there's nothing in the sky. I always thought that was confusing, right? New moon, but there's nothing there. Anyway, they called that the new moon. That was the first day of their new month. Every time the new moon was the first day of their new, uh, new month. And there were certain rituals they were supposed to do to kind of consecrate the coming month to the Lord. Now, here's the problem that Paul exposes with these things. And with the way the teachers were applying them to the people. Verse 17, he says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. They were signs pointing to something else. The point was not to focus on the sign, but on what the sign is pointing to. I've, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I, I, that's one of my bucket list things. I want to go to the Grand Canyon. Could you imagine all your life wanting to go to the Grand Canyon? And you get to one of those road signs, Grand Canyon, 30 miles away, and you get the whole family out and you take a sign, see, we went there, you take a picture, we went to the Grand Canyon. You get back in the car and you go home. Did you go to the Grand Canyon? Yeah, it was amazing. It was awesome. Look at my picture. There's the sign. People would go, you didn't see the Grand Canyon. You were so focused on the sign, you missed the reality. That's what Paul's talking about. We are to focus on the reality of Jesus Christ. The festival celebrated God's plan for salvation of his people. Jesus is the fulfillment of that plan. The Sabbath was setting aside their human actions to focus on and celebrate God. Jesus Christ is the work of God to save us. All of these things focus on Jesus Christ and find their fulfillment in them. I want to be careful. Paul's not saying if you participate in these, you're wrong. What he's saying is don't allow anyone to force you or judge you as being less spiritual for not doing these things. Is that clear? Does that make sense? Because what was happening is these teachers were coming in and saying, you have Jesus, now you need to do these other things too. And Paul says, wait. Hit the brakes. Jesus is the watershed. He's the difference maker. These things can be good if they point to Jesus. We, several years ago, uh, I won't even try to guess how many years ago, as a church, we did a Passover Seder, a Messianic Passover Seder. We weren't breaking what Paul said here by participating in the Passover Seder because the whole point of, of the Passover Seder was this person coming in and saying, this is what it meant to the Jewish people and this is how it points to Jesus Christ. We used the sign to point to the cross and to Jesus Christ. So the problem was these teachers were telling people to 
add to their Christianity certain religious, specifically Old Testament rituals, without focusing on Jesus Christ. Now, we have certain religious actions as Christians today. We have behind us here, you can't see it, but there's a baptismal. We fill it up with water. We dunk people in the water. Well, is that an empty action? It could be. If we said, hey, you've got to be baptized to be saved, and it's the baptism that saves you, well, that might be an empty action if we don't use that to point to Jesus Christ. The baptism doesn't save you. Christ saves you. The waters of baptism, being lowered into the baptism, every time I do a baptism, I explain Christ died on the cross for our sins. That's why we lower you into the water, because Christ died, the old you is dead. You are raised to new life because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It is a picture, a sign, a symbol pointing to the reality of Jesus Christ. In a couple minutes, we're going to take communion. If, if you're here thinking that because you eat this cracker and you drink this juice, you are somehow more spiritual, then you need to listen to the warning of Paul. This is only meaningful as we make sure it points us to Jesus Christ. It is a sign pointing us, reminding us of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. couple ways to apply this. We still do this as Christians today. And we need to hear this. You may not be tempted to fulfill Old Testament festivals, but you might be performing or participating in empty worship. Coming, going through the motion, loving the worship service, singing the songs, doing all the Christian things on Sunday morning, maybe tithing, taking communion, and not be focused on worshiping and trusting in and submitting to Jesus Christ in your day-to-day life. That would be a focus on the sign, not the reality of Jesus Christ. If we focus on rituals that provide a religious experience or feelings and we leave Christ out of it, we are doing exactly what Paul warns us against here. If we participate in rituals or activities in our life that put us in control and allow us to control our relationship with God or our relationship with the world and we leave Christ out of it, we need to hear the warning that Paul is saying. The specific command here is don't let anyone judge you for doing these things. Don't fall for it. When you hear teachers saying, you know, Christ is good, but we also have to do this, and we have to do this, and we have to do this. Are there steps of obedience we should take as Christians? Yes, because of who Christ is and what he's done. If our obedience leaves out who Jesus is and what he's done, it is an empty obedience. Second worthless idea, an empty pride. This one's a bit more obvious. Look at verses 18 through 19. This is kind of a new, different, worthless idea, but it's sort of an extension of the first one. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Paul here, I think, is getting at something that was inherent in these false teachers. And I think some Christians still struggle with this today. It was an empty pride in their own religious experiences. 
It's a false humility. They, they look good and they sound humble, but they're really about pointing to themselves, their own authority, their own righteousness, their own kind of religiosity. And they're teaching others to do the same. Specifically, he says they're delighting in the worship of angels. They go into great detail about what they have seen. These teachers were coming in and saying, you know, Paul was great. He preached the gospel to you. and That's wonderful. But we, we've heard the voice of the Lord and we've seen visions and we've dreamed dreams and you need to listen. We have a word from the Lord for you because of what we have seen. And Paul says, wait a minute. If they're adding that on to the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're saying that they're super important because of these visions, dreams, experiences, whatever it is, he says, watch out. Beware. There is a danger that comes up from time to time throughout Christian Christianity, Christian traditions. There are at times these kind of movements that come up with a focus on dreams and visions and hearing directly from the word of the Lord. Some of that may very well be real. But it should never be an emphasis. That's what Paul's saying here. Be careful not to emphasize that and to listen to a leader who claims his authority is based on the fact that he has had some super spiritual uh, experiences. I think we could also lump into this. Watch out for the people that claim to have spent five minutes in heaven and, and want to share that with you. Be careful of that. Okay? Go to the word of the Lord. This is truth. That's their personal experience and personal opinion on what happened. Paul judges them in two ways here. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They're way too focused on themselves. Their rituals, their knowledge, their own righteousness. And notice the irony about what he says. They say they're so spiritual, yet Paul says they have what kind of minds? Unspiritual. See, anytime, even in our religion... Even in our Christianity, we focus on ourselves too much. We've actually missed the point of what the religious experience is about. It's about Jesus Christ. And then the second judgment is even worse. They have lost connection with the head. Throughout Paul's letters, he talks about Jesus Christ as the head of the church. He doesn't name it here. It's not spelled out, but it's clearly implied and explained elsewhere in Colossians. He's talking about Jesus. These leaders who claim to know more than the gospel have lost connection with what the gospel is all about. They've missed the point and they're leading people astray. In their efforts to teach the church, they've lost the focus on Jesus Christ and they end up teaching a Christless Christianity, which is terrifying. Christianity without Jesus Christ is empty and it's nothing, completely worthless. So Paul warns the Colossians against these two empty and worthless ideas. And then he gives the the antidote, the solution. And he talks about the new perspective we have in Jesus Christ. We've talked about this before. So let me just bring it in briefly here. Look at verses 20 to 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. 
understand what the gospel is. It's very simple. Jesus is God. Jesus was born and lived among us. Jesus died on the cross in our place. And Jesus rose from the dead. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very simple to state, to sum up. It takes a lifetime and possibly an eternity to actually understand the depths of what all that means. But Paul constantly takes the gospel and says, don't just believe it and grab onto it and then go about living your life. He says, make the gospel the lens through which you see everything. I want to point out a couple places in Colossians he does this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. We covered this a couple weeks ago. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. What's the first part of the gospel? Jesus is God, and he lived among us. There it is. Paul's tying into that to help them to see their current situation. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ, this is our passage today, why do you keep living this way? See yourself through the death of Jesus Christ. I'm not that person anymore because Christ died, the old me died. Why do I keep acting like I'm still that person? The new perspective of Jesus Christ. He picks up this theme again in uh, next week's sermon. We'll see Colossians 3, 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And he's going to go on to talk about how to live that out. What does this look like in a marriage? What does it look like in society? How do we live out the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you see the gospel in these verses? Do you see how Paul says, look through the lens of the gospel at everything in your life and in the world? And in verses 20 to 23, Paul takes these worthless, cheap, human alternatives that are knockoff ideas and are not a substitute for the real thing. And he says, look at them through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look through the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. And verse 20 is the main point of this whole thing. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, again, kind of just the way the world works, you died to that. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you still submit to its rules? Paul is not saying, live as a rebel, don't care what everybody thinks, don't care what the government says, we'd have to go to other places to talk about that. What he is saying is, why do you give in to this way of saying this life is right, these actions are right, when they have nothing to do with Christ? Why are you changing the way you live to fit somebody else's idea when that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ? You are not that person any longer. So Paul's explaining why these ideas are so empty And he says an emphasis on certain religious actions, just doing the right thing, without Jesus Christ, fails to understand the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 22, these commands about religious behaviors, they have an end date. They're just of this world. We're to be focusing on our eternal life with Jesus Christ. Verse 23 explains the point. The real issue is not whether or not we're doing the right or wrong things. It's that we're sinners with sin in our heart. And if the sin is not dealt with, no change of actions will make any difference. We'll just be shifting the sin around, and maybe we fix the sin over here, and it's going to pop up somewhere else. The heart must be changed by Jesus' death and resurrection. We can't just do the right thing. We must allow Jesus to change our heart. On June 24th, 2022, 
Supreme Court of the United States overturned Roe versus Wade. Praise God. I, I just want to say my understanding, my reading of the Word of God, my application of the truth of the Word of God, abortion is sinful and wrong and evil. And praise God that the rule, the law is overturned. It is good when evil laws that support evil things are overturned and brought in line with the word of God. That is good. I want to be careful. Hear me say that. Abortion is wrong. Overturning Roe versus Wade, good. But the changing of those laws will do nothing to change the human heart of sin that wants to be the ruler of their own universe and kill the child that is within them so that they can have the life that they want. The law is not the actual problem. The heart is the problem. It's good that the law has changed. I disagree with abortion wholeheartedly. But the answer is not to be found in the Supreme Court. It's not to be found in the Oval Offices. It's not to be found in the halls of Congress. The answer is to be found in the cross and the empty tomb and the throne where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died in our place and rose again, reigns on high. Point people to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is a temporary changing of a human law. I have no doubt within my lifetime it will change back. No doubt at all. It's temporary. Don't put your hope there. Celebrate it, yes. Work, volunteer on behalf of overcoming abortion, absolutely. But in and through all of it, point to Jesus Christ. Only Christ can change the heart. That's what Paul's pointing to here. As Christians, it is all too easy for us to get sucked into the ways of this world and try to use merely political means, merely cultural ideas and arguments to change the world. Only Christ will ultimately change the world. Live for Jesus, trust in Jesus, and proclaim Jesus Christ in everything you do. Religious actions, going with the flow of the culture, quite frankly, is easier than trusting in Jesus Christ. Faith is hard work. It takes effort to not be distracted. It takes effort to focus on and truly trust in Jesus Christ. And so often it seems kind of opposite. Like, like being religious and just focusing on religious actions, like that's the good Christian thing to do because the world is just focused on personal freedom and getting whatever you want and doing whatever you want. But the truth is, these two things can often be opposite sides of the same coin. And the coin is, I am in control. And I can be in control as the good Christian boy that does good Christian things. And look at me, I'm so righteous because I do all these amazing Christian things and I'm in control. If I do this and I say this and I talk to this person, confess my sins to this person and pray certain prayers, then I'm in. I'm in control. And then the world and the culture looks at that and goes, that's crazy. I'm free to do whatever I want and I'm free to express myself how I want and to be the gender I want and marry whoever I want and do whatever I want with my own body. I'm completely free. Do you see the similarities? Oh, those two sides hate each other, but they're actually doing the same thing. And Paul is warning the Christians against that and he says, focus on Jesus Christ. 
Focus on Jesus Christ. Don't fall for the worthless and cheap alternatives. Only trust in the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as I go through sermon series, books of the Bible, like Colossians now, sometimes I just feel like we're, we're looking at the same thing over and over again. We're repeating the same thing over and over again. But Father, help our sinful hearts to open our sinful eyes and to accept this truth that as human beings, we need to hear these things over and over and over again. Because we are so easily distracted. And we're taken in, often without even realizing it, by false, cheap, worthless alternatives to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, I know from the power of your word, from the truth that you proclaim, there is nothing, nothing that can satisfy us, bring us eternal joy, absolute freedom, other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So may we as individuals, May we as a local church, may we as your people throughout this world saved by your son Jesus, may we live and proclaim and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ saves. And that is the only thing that can change lives. And Father, if there are activities, rituals, festivals that help us to focus on Christ, then help us to embrace that as a sign pointing to Christ. But God, if those things ever get in the way, of Jesus Christ. Turn our eyes back to the cross and the resurrection and the salvation we have through your son, Jesus. And God, I pray that each one of us on a day like this would take stock in what we are trusting in and hoping in. And if we're trusting in or hoping in anything other than Jesus, realign us, bring us back to a focus on the truth of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.